0: There are things we say we're okay with, but when the rubber hits the road, we balk. Failure is one such thing. Our society often hands us contradictory messages that failure isn't an option, while saying that it's also important that we learn from our mistakes. And yes, context is everything. We don't want a surgeon operating on us to decide that failure is an option after all. But most of us hold ourselves to a surgeon's standards, saying we're okay with failure, but then feeling like the world is ending when it actually happens. Our question this episode, how can we recalibrate our relationship to failure so that it's productive, not destructive? Welcome to Episode 41 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host, Beth Below. Thank you so much for joining me today. My guest today is Sarah McVannell, who is going to share with us insights she gained as she wrote her latest book. We're going to get straight to the conversation, but stick with me afterwards for some quick closing thoughts and your call to action. Sarah McVannell is a dynamic, engaging personality that almost makes you excited to experience failure, just so she can offer her perspective. Sarah helps leaders leverage the exponential power of recognition to retain top talent. She jokes that it's the only lane that pulls together her bachelor's in psychology, her master's in family relations, and certifications in organizational development, coaching, human resources, speaking, and healthcare administration. She left her senior leadership role four years ago to launch her boutique firm, Greatness Magnified, authoring some books, vlogging, tap dancing, and as she puts it, getting up to no good with her husband, Mark, and her kids, Justin and Simone. Her latest book is called The Flip Side of Failing, and that is the focus of our conversation today. If you want to learn more about Sarah, her book, and find links to the many resources that we mention in this episode, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at HowCanISayThis.com. From there, you can also access past episodes, submit a communication question for a reply in a future episode, subscribe, learn how to leave a review, or offer feedback. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to How Can I Say This? I am so excited, believe it or not, to talk to you about failure. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Beth I am so believe it or not excited to talk with you about failure too but you know as as coaches, we kind of like talking about sometimes the difficult things, don't we?
0: Absolutely, we don't shy away from them. That's for sure. So, mm. and actually, it's like when they come up, we're like, oh, "Ooh, this is juicy." juicy. Yes, <laughs> juicy. you said the same word I do. I love it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you and I were recently chatting, um, you referred to failure as the other F word, mm. and um, it is one of those words that, uh, particularly when we look at corporate environments or organizations, despite that they will say that they're all about innovation and creativity, Mm -hmm. i.e. embracing Mm -hmm. failure. Mm -hmm. The word failure and everything that goes with it still carries a lot of negative baggage. Mm -hmm. So start us out by sharing your perspective on failure and perhaps the overall role that it plays in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you asked that question, because the book, Flip Side of Failing, that, you know, this kind of sparked this conversation that we're having, mm-hmm. was not supposed to be a book about failure. <laughs> oh. I'm a recognition expert, so what is a recognition expert doing talking about failure, and uh, and it really started from trying to interview amazing, I'm Canadian, so amazing Canadians about greatness. Yeah. So Everest climbers and Olympians and 3M scholars and everyone in between. And what the one consistent theme that arose in every single interview, completely unsolicited, was how important failure was to their success. In fact, these folks generally strove way past their physical or their knowledge or their relationship limitations to be able to achieve the success that they had. And I thought, Oh, my gosh, this is un- you have to write the book sometimes that you need to read yourself. So right. sadly, I had to then write the book on failure, mm-hmm. because I may in fact, be a recovering perfectionist. And, and the fascinating thing about how you when you look at something, and you start writing it, and you stare it right in the face it takes some of the pain away from it, that it, it actually can be a word that we can say. It, can, it doesn't have to be the F word. It can be a, it can be just part of one of the things that is everyday life and everybody cor- everyday corporate life and everyday training life for athletes. And so it was actually looking at people that I put on a pedestal and realizing that they are just like you and I and all of my clients, everyone that we work with, mm-hmm. that allowed me to realize how essential failure was to embrace rather than to hide. Yeah. And that, that I think is an important lesson in corporations. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So I hear something about it almost became normalized for you.
1: Yeah. And and
0: it sounds like that was part of the key to those achievers that it became just par for the course as Mm. opposed to this epic obstacle.
1: Right. And that's why it wasn't an F word anymore. It wasn't this epic, huge thing. In fact, it was the opposite for these folks. They were failure resilient because they had to strive every single day. You know, Peter Mansbridge was one of the folks that I interviewed for this book. And for Canadians listening to this, they will know him as the top, anchor on CBC or Canadian Broadcast Company for years. He has no university Mm -hmm. education. Nobody really knows that about him. I'm sure he doesn't tell many people about it. And yet he has interviewed 13,000 world leaders and covered every royal wedding and funeral and natural disaster for decades in Canada. And we trust him actually because he is so authentic and he is so Mm -hmm. one of us. And he talks about how if I believed everything that people told me about what I couldn't do, then there's no way I would have retired from the top job at CBC. And I certainly wouldn't have led as fulfilling a career and a life. So I, you know, he talks about, he doesn't know the moment in his career where he figured it out. He thinks it was early on where he just realized I'm going to be constantly rejected. I'm going to be told no a hundred times before I get told that. Yes, I, I, my, my success in my career will be despite all of the obstacles, roadblocks and limitations that other people have in their mind. I just can't be one of those people to put up the roadblocks and the mental obstacles. And I suspect the listeners will be able to think about somebody in their life mm-hmm. that is a role model that they aspire to that have lived that same philosophy.
0: Absolutely, I, I know I encounter it with clients frequently. I'm sure you do too. That mm-hmm. there's that expression we can be our own worst enemy for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I appreciate what you were saying about the the broadcaster in that he said, "I am going to encounter rejection and obstacles. I am not going to be the source of those mm-hmm. objections and obstacles." Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful statement of resilience mm-hmm. and determination that I'm guessing um, was a very pivotal insight for him, like you said, Yeah, that that helped him move forward.
1: Absolutely. And just, you know, when you talk with professional athletes, they will say the same thing. They may not say it in those words. Mm -hmm. They'll just talk about how when you go out to train, you are constantly surpassing your physical limitations. Nobody ever gets to the Olympics going, yeah, I was born this way. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You know, so they will talk about how the way in which they train is they actually look for all of the gaps in their performance, and, it, and if you were constantly looking at gaps in your performance, and it, it, and it was a sign that you weren't good enough, then that would really bring you down. And I, you know, when I liken this for the people who are listening who aren't necessarily athletes or, or striving to ever go to the Olympics, I mean, think about your workplace. Imagine if your workplace were saying, "Okay, I believe in you. You, if you push past this." knowledge gap that you have, or if we push past this, this product defect that we currently have, and we are on the other side of it, what could we do? Imagine how much more courageous those conversations would be as opposed mm-hmm. to how do we fix this? How do we get through the day? How do we make the happy, the, the client happy? Or how do we recover from this? You know, there's just very different questions you ask. And I know that's what you're all about on this podcast is yeah. the type's questions you ask absolutely and what you what you're sharing especially
0: about the um i, I love that expression failure resilient mm. it reminds me of um and and also when you're talking about the athletes mm-hmm. a story i read it was in time magazine or newsweek or something years ago and it was probably around the olympics and it was about a study that they had done of basically, like to get to the Olympics, everyone has to have, you know, there's a certain baseline level of achievement and competence and and whatnot. Sure. So, what causes some people, like if all things being equal, you know, you're equally strong, mm-hmm. fast, etc. what separates the people that get either no medal? From you know a bronze or a bronze from a gold kind of thing, mm-hmm. so they looked at their stories and um, you know looked at the looked at it holistically, the big picture, and they found that fairly consistently the gold medal winners had overcome some childhood or you know personal adversity. Mm-hmm. And, and often that adversity, you know, you can look at it as they encountered failure on some level, right? That, that something failed them or um, didn't work the way it, quote-unquote, should, or mm. something about their home life was not, quote-unquote, normal. Mm-hmm. And so they had encountered those moments where they said, I'm going to get rejected. I know there's going to be obstacles. Um, these are going to be thrown up in my way. And they developed a resilience to move mm-hmm. through them. Mm-hmm. And... And I have often, you know, as a um, a coach and a writer and, and somebody who talks about these topics, I've had my own failure resilience almost called into question for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'll share a story mm-hmm. about that. But mm-hmm. because my upbringing, yes, I had, you know, sort of the normal, uh, the typical dysfunctional family, but nothing that I would point to and say, I overcame that mm. kind of thing. And so I think, and, and I've encountered other people who feel like, yeah, I didn't really have much struggle. Mm. I didn't have many challenges or things I had to overcome. And so when they encounter failure something not working, Mm -hmm. they're less resilient. Mm -hmm. They think
1: it's the end of the world. (laughs) right? Yeah. So with all of that said. Yeah. I wanted to just reinforce how the folks who who have have an interest in from an academic standpoint, or if you're a military professional and so forth, what you just shared in that study, which I, I'm so grateful you shared it. I'm going to go and look it up. I actually haven't read that study. (laughs) Um, When they studied how inner city kids learn science who are often Unable to get into science programs and they never envisioned perhaps this is a career for themselves. And and frankly, sometimes the school had written them off in terms of, well, if we just if they just graduate, that'll be a success. When they taught those inner city students the failures of the Einsteins and the Curies and and people that are science legends, mm-hmm. those students performed better than their peers who weren't shared the stories of failure but were actually shared only about the successes of their scientific careers and discoveries and you know trying the inspirational sort of message about about these scientists yeah and so there's uh you know when i think about that whether it's academia whether it's in sports whether it's in the workplace I think that we can look to whether it's our own stories or uh, and or the stories of the people that we look up to, and when we can have authentic conversations about what hasn't gone well, Mm -hmm. not only does it humanize the workplace, we can also connect on what I didn't get. By the way, I didn't get to the CEO position because everything was this straight line up the ladder, and I never encountered any challenges, and uh, you know, at my career perfectly lined up. No, no, no. This is what happened and I had to overcome this and then I had this relationship challenge and I had this health setback. We can relate to those people so much better and we can begin to look at, we we can begin to understand what true resiliency looks like as opposed to the stories, and you mentioned stories before, the stories would tell ourselves that, well, I probably will never get there because I don't have that straight way up the ladder. Mm-hmm. Or I can't get there because I don't have the same degree. Or I can't get there because I did have that challenging childhood, and this person probably had everything handed to them. Yeah. So imagine a workplace. Imagine a family. Imagine, a, imagine in a, a, any environment where, where you have growth, which, of course, is our fundamental human need, Carl Rogers. Yeah. Where we don't talk about growth from it being this path, straight path to self-actualization, it were actually growth despite all of the obstacles, challenges, and setbacks. Now, that's the kind of conversation I want to have Mm -hmm. with people, not just as a coach, but also with my clients in how they support their leaders evolve and grow and their staff. How do you recognize your staff even when things aren't going well? Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. and we're going to have a part two conversation about that sort of um, mm-hmm. externally looking um, piece of failure to counter our internal focus right now. So I'm glad you mm-hmm. brought that up. Mm-hmm. And you're making me, you're, I think you're kind of answering a follow up question, which is around if you feel like you're someone that hasn't had those, like we know, okay, so, mm-hmm. so now I know that one of the ways to build resilience is by experiencing these things and going through them and processing them and trying to you know, have a healthy uh, mindset and reframing, etc. And one of the ways that we can, if we don't feel like we've had that challenge or adversity to overcome, part of the key to developing that resilience, at least in mindset is, um, or at least planting the seeds, I should say, is to read those stories, Mm. to talk to other people to learn, how did they get from point A to point B? And recognize that all we see is point B. We don't see mm, mm. a one, a two, a three, a four side side trip, mm, you know, mm. um, <laughs> detour, yeah, um, and and all of that. All we see is the finished product, and it can seem like they had it handed to them. So just hearing that people do persevere, even if you haven't had that experience yourself, mm-hmm. I think can start to at least. Rearrange the neurons <laughs> yeah. to understand that when it does eventually happen, because it will, mm-hmm. you know what's happening and you have some more tools to deal with it.
1: And that, um, you know, the, the the seeing people at the end reference that you made, I think it's such a good point, because that's where I hear a lot of people being very critical of social media. Yes. Because they, you know, that filter washed world Um And I am purposely looking for and then sharing on my story and, and, you know, and and trying to be more actively following people who explicitly talk about the things that are challenging or Mm -hmm. not just motivational quotes, but also the overcoming things or when things aren't going well or you deserve to be treated better and so forth. And so, you know, we we can sometimes blanket statement that this thing is a problem, Mm -hmm. like social media is a problem it's it's where we choose to put our attention and our energy and so if i am willing to see my world and other people in it as being imperfect as having failures as there being obstacles and challenges and that is part of being human then i actually notice and i begin to acknowledge and look for and seek that out of my life and this is not being defeatist this is not being negative no. this is about being human so you know, the the book that are in the book, the model that I created, I think beautifully speaks to what you've been talking about, where um, what I learned through in these interviews with these amazing folks, and of course, background in psychology and family therapy, is that it starts with mindset, a failure resilient mindset. Yeah. And then to fuel and support that mindset, we need a failure resilient context. One of those contexts is in our own mind. Mm-hmm. It's not just an external context that we're going to talk about in our next podcast, and then based on those things, when an obstacle challenge setback or an absolute utter disaster failure, whatever the scope may be, because, you know, there's this whole continuum there, we can deflate, we can mitigate, or we can elevate. Mm-hmm. And you used you used that movement metaphor before, and I just want to call it back because yeah. I think it's beautiful. Be- because lots of the people that I interviewed, I'm sure lots of the people that the listeners are thinking in terms of the people that they really look up to um, whether you know their story or whether you don't and you just assume that there is movement that's that's even just being true to the model in and of itself yeah. I may not know how they got here I suspect though they had to feel deflated at least at least for a few minutes if mm-hmm. not for years. Mm-hmm they had to sort of manage the damage, mitigate things, and then they could elevate. I'm curious about what that journey looked like for them. I'm curious about what they learned along the way. I'm curious about how similar we might be. I'm curious about how I could do it faster and get to the point where they can bounce back as fast as they do now, because perhaps they learned how to do that through some other things that they went through. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we can't be upset that we didn't have drama and trauma, but then be upset that, that we had all those dramas and traumas otherwise that were victims, mm-hmm. you know, those two sides of the spectrum, yes. we're allowed to just have somewhere in the middle, yeah. like you and I are allowed to be somewhere in the middle and it still be just as important some, you know, the work that we do in our own mind, the questions that we ask ourselves, the, the way in which we ask those questions of other people to sort out how we view failure as well. It's really accepting it it's yes. at the bottom line. It is. It's accepting failure. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It happens.
0: <laughs> exactly. Failure happens. Well, and and you're starting to talk about, you know, that self talk. And mm-hmm. one of the things I know from personal experience, it can make or break us. And you know, what are the mm-hmm. stories that we're telling ourselves? Yeah. And so I'm I'm thinking um this might come into the manage part of the the spectrum, but what are some healthy ways that we can reframe failure in the mm-hmm. stories that we tell ourselves?
1: Well, what a great question, and so topical with all of Brene Brown's um, fame that she yeah, has right now. I just now. wrote down her name. Yeah, I <laughs> just wrote down Brene Brown. Just huge, right? Yeah, no, so much. <laughs> when you when you watch her uh, Call to Courage uh, broadcast her her show on Netflix, when you when you listen to her Oprah, when you watch her when you, when you read her books, so much of it comes down to that. What story am I telling myself? And even all of the crucial conversations work that's out there is mm-hmm. what story am I telling myself? Because yes. that really is in, in a nutshell about why, you know, relationships fall apart and, and so forth is that, you know, we, we attach ourselves to a story that maybe a little bit of it is true. However, most of it is just, you know, it's a built out story. So here are the questions that I actually suggest that people can ask themselves to not have to get into that victim accuse mode when failure happens, whether it's self accuse or accusing others and that victimization that comes from we can sort of script in our story that we can tell ourselves in our head and instead embrace more of a failure resilient which leaves the story open the story has not been written yet the story is unfolding Mm -hmm. and and it's actually accept as an acronym a is acquire okay so the question would be what can be learned Um, the first c is choice what options are available? And then the next C is connection. How can this bond and unite? E is expect. How could this have been expected? P is progress. What is the best way forward? And T is transformation. So what is the most important thing on the long term? And what I know you are 100% believing in questions, that's the whole point of your, you know, your your podcast message is around what questions we need to ask ourselves. As a coach, you're just, you're a question and curious person. As a professional, Mm -hmm. I think we often don't ask ourselves a lot of questions. That's my experience as a coach like you, having worked with hundreds of people. That's my experience as a keynote speaker. When people come and they ask me a question afterwards, it's my experience doing leadership development, is that we often tell ourselves the story, which then shuts down the questions. Yeah. And if we are open to the story yet to be written, um, then, then we constantly are asking questions. And that is, in a nutshell, how you can accept failure is that you continually ask yourself and search for the meaning behind it. And I don't mean the universe has provided this to me, and therefore I I don't mean woo-woo. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, if that works for you, hey, (laughs) no no disrespect. Go woo-woo. I believe believe the universe conspires to make sure that I have good vacations. So, you know, I'm totally going to work the universe angle too. I just think that there's we can be very intentional in trying to understand what meaning can I make from this thing that I would rather not be dealing with right now? And that is that allows us to stand in that resourceful place of choice, mm-hmm. as opposed to be victims of things that we don't want to have happen. Yeah.
0: You're reminding me of a quote. I want to say it's Gracie Allen. And it says, never put a period where God has put a comma. Mm. <laughs> and oh, isn't that a goosebump I know isn't that beautiful goosebumps. that I love that and that's kind of what I just heard you you know saying that um you pe- it's not here's my story end of story period it's here's my story mm. comma question mark Right. and that does absolutely open it up from that full stop place that we can get stuck in
1: and here's a perfect example of that I um, had a, a somebody who came and, and we have host an a st- um, administrative professional celebration day because I just think they're often overlooked and undervalued and so we have one in our community, a, a, a fellow speaker and I and, um, one of those folks brought me in, we were, we we're having a conversation because I'm going to do some work with her team. And I, I just, I got an inkling that she was really struggling as a mom and she needed this book around failure. Cause we have a lot of scripts, us women, and again, it comes from yes. the shame research <laughs> from Brene Brown around motherhood. And that's a big source of shame and vulnerability. And I just gave her a copy and I said, I just... I'm wondering if this would be a value to you. Why don't you take a look? And if it's not, it's a great paperweight. And if it is, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So she poured through the book. She sent me an email the following Monday morning. And she said, I had no idea that I had told myself that I was a bad mom, that my child would probably never be able to get better from her current struggles, and that i had given up on, on working with the school. Her daughter's being very, very severely bullied. And, um, and I had, I didn't realize how many points along the way that I had told myself, it, it, this is not her exact words, but I'm, I'm sort of referencing it back to you, the point around a comma versus a period. Her con, the whole notion, the flip side of failure is that that's what brings the comma. So for her, it's, Maybe the story is not written at school. Maybe the story is not written with her friends. Maybe the story is not written with my daughter. Maybe the story of me as a mom is not written and how I relate to my husband. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many people I speak with after a keynote, and I'm sure you have this too, where what our keynotes do is that they, pr- they put a comma where people in their mind had a period and they maybe didn't even realize it. Yeah. And that is one of the most, I think, rewarding things about doing what we do, is it not? Absolutely. Whether it's speaking or coaching. <laughs> yeah. Helping people put commas in their story. Exactly. It's like you're
0: taking something that was closed down tight yes. and unlocking it. And yeah, it's a Pandora's box, but um, yeah. that's better than being, you know, shut down and and clinging to something that's only weighing you down. I would rather, you know, take flight with a jumble of things <laughs> than mm. then uh, be stuck in the mud um, with stories that
1: don't serve me. Oh, and what a beautiful and uh, your metaphors around movement again. Yeah, yeah, you're right <laughs> versus stuck in the mud. I exactly. love it. It's, it's all about movement. And that's what it's so much of what this comes down to. Yeah. 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 And, and and the story reference still is movement. I must be willing to keep the story in motion right. for there to be another comma. Yeah. There's always another chapter, another volume. <laughs> yes, exactly. Even when yeah. we don't want the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, even when it's like I never would have, I would never would have picked this life or this chapter of the book, or you know, it, we, and we we maybe think we have no control, mm-hmm. and that can work for us for a while because we're allowed to feel frustrated, and angry. You know? Oh yeah. But one of the folks that I interviewed for this book. He what rose him to greatness was actually when he became paralyzed from a motocross accident. And what was so devastating for him is that his father had been paralyzed about five years before that. And it just this it it created a period for his dad. Yeah, I am never going to be happy again. This is the end of my life. I'm I'm, you know, it it caused the end of their marriage is the marriage to Kevin's mom. Um, and, uh, and it was a very tense household, tense relationship. And so then, and his father kept saying, be safe. Don't, don't do anything risky. I think you shouldn't do motocross anymore. Kevin does the thing that he loves most motocross racing. He gets paralyzed and he's like ugh, sitting in the hospital bed. Dad was right. Now I've got dad's life. I can't believe it. I'm 22. My life is over. Mm. And then he just decides, he's allowed to be deflated for a while. I mean, that's a pretty hard thing. That's harsh, yes. That's pretty harsh. That's a tough, tough life thing. You don't bounce from, most people don't bounce from that. And then he's just like, well, how do I just sort of manage through this? How do I, how do I, you know, figure out what I want to do? And his, it was actually his friends who kept the story going for him when he could not keep the story going for himself. And he realized That he actually, maybe he he wouldn't be doing motocross again. He did actually learn to to walk again. He doesn't, it doesn't walk the way he walked before, but he's, you know, not confined to a wheelchair the way he was told he was going to be and so forth. And he hopped back on a motocross, but he realized actually that this is not my sport anymore. And um, he got into sledge hockey. Mm -hmm. So, the folks who are hockey people on, you know, on your podcast, I'm sure will know that that is basically playing hockey the way you would, but it's on a sled. So you have two sticks. They're short. They've got grip on the, on the one side of them. And then the, you know, the, um, the flicky part, I clearly, I'm a <laughs> the flicky player. part. On the That's other a side, technical term. The flicky part. <laughs> That's a technical term. It's, I am Canadian. So we get, you know, we call it the flicky part of the hockey stick. I don't know. I should really find out what that is. That's embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, I hope I'm not kicked out of Canada now. Um, so, so he he decided that he wanted to do this, but he didn't just decided he wanted to start doing sledge hockey. He decided I want to go to the Olympics and bear be on the Canadian Paralympic sledge hockey team, and by golly, he did. Mm-hmm. And um and then, not only that, there was a terrible terrible accident in Canada about a year ago, where uh, a vehicle, a, a huge transport truck blew right through a stop sign in northern Saskatchewan and slammed right into the side of a bus full of champion hockey players. And I don't mean like NHL. I mean these are the up-and-coming future NHL um, rising stars. Still in high school, a traveling team, and not only did half of the beautiful human beings on that bus lose their life, many of them became paralyzed. Well, Kevin hopped on a plane while you started mess tweeting them through social media saying it is it's just the beginning. Here's your new story. I've got sticks for all of you. I'm coming up. I'm going to come and see you. They said, yes, you can come and see us. And and this is the most beautiful part of there being a comma in your story is it allows you to put a comma in other people's failure story because he was there within a month of that accident saying giving them hockey sticks sledge hockey and saying your hockey career is not over it is just a different hockey career what can I do to support you and if you choose not to do hockey ever again sledge hockey that's totally fine too just know it's not over because I'm living proof and it was I mean I'm I'm getting goosebumps retelling the story even though I've read it heard it talked about it many different times but I just feel so this is what excites me so much about talking about about how when we accept failure, it allows it to us to accept it not just for us, but our mindset is so infectious that other people's mindsets change too. Mm-hmm. They change their questions and their story as well. So mm, beautiful yeah. story. I'm glad that that book didn't work out. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad we. I'm glad we're talking about failure, not just plain old greatness. That's right. Good stuff.
0: Yeah, anybody can have greatness it takes it takes takes guts to embrace failure um it really does and courage yeah well sarah um i know we're going to have a part two so um for those who are listening now in this
1: episode what's the best way for people to learn more about you and your work and your book um well they're welcome of course to um, come on over to my website, greatnessmagnified.com and uh, we've, they can purchase the book there. They can get all kinds of great resources. We have actually um, com slash the flip side of failing has a number of resources for folks too. And yeah, um, if they want to personally message me, I'm I'm out there on all the different forms of social media. Sarah McDaniel, M C V A N E L, and I'm super responsive. And that is me, not a member of my team. It is not a bot. That is me who answers <laughs> people's messages. So excellent. I would love it if people shared their story and um and let's just let's just talk more about it yeah. so that it takes the shame and the blame away from failure. Absolutely.
0: Well said. Well said. And I'll make sure that all of that information is on the episode webpage, and to make it oh. easy for people to find you so thank you so much sarah that was i feel like that could be we could have multiple parts just on that all of that right there but i'm looking forward to also going more towards the organizational side in our next conversation so thank you so much and my pleasure let's talk again for sure thank you This conversation reminded me of the power of vulnerability. I think of showing vulnerability as giving our emotions permission to be fully present to ourselves and to others. It's like when a cat rolls over on its back and exposes its belly. When our cat Molly started to do that, I knew that she was starting to trust us. With her belly exposed, she's leaving herself open to being hurt. And that's true for us as well. A metaphorical belly exposed is about being vulnerable. We can respond to feelings of failure in a few different ways. We can shut down and keep it to ourselves, hoping that there are no witnesses. Or we can roll over and show our bellies. We can be open and vulnerable about it, risking hurt, but also risking empathy and compassion. Sarah mentioned one way to develop failure resilience, which is an expression that I love, was to listen to other people's stories. This is part of what it means to have more courageous conversations, which is my goal with this podcast. A quick look around reveals courageous storytellers who spark courageous conversations every day. The familiar names of Anne Lamott, Elizabeth Gilbert, and Brene Brown come immediately to mind. There are others that I met when I hosted the Introvert Entrepreneur podcast, such as venture capitalist Brad Feld, who speaks openly about his own past struggles with mental health issues. Now, while mental health is absolutely not about failure, I offer him as an example of someone who's making a difference and empowering others who might see mental health issues as a failure. Depression is perceived as a personal failing by some people. And the more people who speak out about it and contradict that particular perception, the less that stigma will persist. And the same is true for achievement-related failures. As we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable, we'll be able to talk more openly about it, And create more space and grace for failure to be an option. That is, and to go back to my opening, unless you're the surgeon that's holding the scalpel. So here's my call to action. Listen to the voices who are telling their stories of failure in authentic, vulnerable ways. They can help us to rewrite our self-talk around failure. You'll find them in the names that I mentioned a moment ago, as well as probably in hundreds, if not thousands of others who are sharing their story, not just for clicks, likes or subscribes, but because they genuinely want to reach into your heart and mind. They want to ease your pain and make life better for you. Use their stories to reflect on your own. Consider how your failures, large and small, have shaped who you are. And finally, remember that no matter how successful they appear now or how easy they make it look, the people we admire for their failure resilience had their speed bumps along the way. That's how they became resilient. And in fact, they probably still encounter speed bumps every day. That's because they continue to take risks and push themselves into new spaces. They see failure as an option. And as one coach friend of mine puts it, they did their work. What work is yours to do? This is Beth Below and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks so much for joining me and Sarah for this conversation today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously.